Welcome to The Recap, part of our podcast where we recap the previous week's sermon. We're here today with Dave, who preached the sermon. Hi, Dave. Hey. And Stacy is joining us as well. Hey. Hey. Ethan, are you going to talk on a mic or not today? Okay. He's chewing French fries and yeah. saying no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't really have any pre- preamble thoughts like Daniel always does. Mm. Sorry about that. So let's just jump right in. So what two chapters were we in this last week, Dave? We were in Genesis 36, which is a genealogy, Mm -hmm. and then Genesis 37. Yep. So just give us the quick flyover of where you went with those. Uh, Genesis 36 is, again, a genealogy um, of Esau's, and... um, at the, the the thing to note, a couple of things to note would be one, it's marked by these are the generations of, which is a marker throughout Genesis saying that we're making a pretty big transition in focus. So that that's there. Uh, we're moving from Jacob to Joseph is really what's happening. Yeah, yep. it's marking that. Um, also to note is that his his basically intermarrying and actually actually kind of taking over yeah. a particular region of um, other other people who had other gods and kind of the assimilation of him into these other gods, kind of cementing his, his genealogy, his lines distance from God. Mm-hmm. And the last thing that I just note to people reading their Bible and the author says it a couple of times on purpose, I think to get our attention is that from there on, he'll be known as Edom. His people will be known as Edom. And if you read through the whole old Testament, um, Edom is, becomes a foil to Israel, which right. if we're reading about Jacob and Esau and their story, it's not that big of a surprise but they become a foil. Uh, you read the the prophets eventually prophesy against them and how God's wrath is going to come down on them along with other foils <laughs> right. in the Old Testament. And that kind of culminates in um, an Edomite king named Herod who kills all the babies to try to extinguish the king who will be the line of the Jews in That's the New amazing. Testament. Yeah. And, and again, though, God working for good and really horrible things yep. spares his son and, and the king survives, the real king survives and yeah. eventually uh, has king of the Jews written above his head as he dies to save a people from their sins. So, um, so yeah, so I, th- I, think that's, I think that's why it's there both to mark a transition in the story, but also to show a people opposed from God and that will be a foil against God and and to show this theme throughout the whole Bible of how there's going to be people opposed to God and to show God once again working for the good of his people, even in the midst of all that, um, to, to bring about his promised offspring, his true king, yeah. his true son. <coughs> I mean, all the themes you could put there are crazy, but I think that's what it's meant to point to. Yeah, that's amazing. And just the way that that shows the, um, the coherence and the one story of the Bible. Yeah. It just like it when you see like Edomites and then that just like goes mm-hmm. all the way through Edomites as a foil to Israel and culminating in Jesus as the true Israel and mm-hmm. the Edomite king and he still doesn't defeat mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. You know, that that just makes the Bible feel smaller and more coherent and more unified. Yeah, which is kind of was my whole introduction just yeah. to say, hey, I don't want us to view this as kind of one moral story after another, but to view it as one story. And the way I framed it, there's a bunch of ways to frame it, but I think it's helpful to think of it as God's people in God's place to Mm -hmm. enjoy God's presence. That's what God's always working for through his offspring, his promised offspring that's going to come. And I think that works like 
in every book of the Bible. <laughs> That's right. kind of what's always going on. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think to see the whole thing as one story is not just helpful for the reader, but is intentional by God, which is why it's helpful for the reader. Sure. It's God telling his interpretation of history and how he's going about doing what he's doing. Yep. Yeah, it's so encouraging. Uh, chapter 37, broken into two parts. The first part was um, basically basically some, basically, basically, uh, <laughs> basically some history of how much Jacob favored Joseph. I, th- I think it's um, setting up Joseph as a moral obedient foil to some of his immoral disobedient brothers. Uh-huh. And he's being favored both for his place as the firstborn of Jacob's favorite wife, sad right. as that is to say, mm-hmm. and for his behavior. Like, oh, look at this kid actually does some good stuff around here. Um, that kind of thing. And then I, uh, and then uh, Reuben has already given away his birthright because he slept with his father's concubine. So then Jacob gets his coat. Um, right. And uh, that I think marks... He's the one who's going to get my inheritance. Yep. Um, and so this is another pattern that's repeating from over and over and over yep. again. Jacob and Esau again. Yeah. Brothers hating brothers. Um, and uh, so then Joseph has these two <laughs> dreams that he, you know, for some reason that will remain unknown until we meet him. Tells his brothers and tells his brothers. And hey guys, this cool dream I had. Yeah, cool Could you dream just I like had. picture that happening in your own family with your yeah, kids? Yeah, that's, like, that's what I said on hey. Sunday. <laughs> I, I don't know how many times I have to have that talk to my kids like that. That might be true, but yes. that's not something we say out loud to everybody. Yes, that's what you said. I <laughs> yeah, resonated gonna, with that very much so. Just <laughs> And a lot of times, right, a lot of times it's just kind of a, a thoughtlessness. That's kind of where I lean with. And, and ultimately, I think it's God doing it. He's like putting this on Joseph in such a dramatic way that Joseph feels like he like has to tell people. Yeah. Um, who knows, though? Anyways, he has two dreams where everybody bows down to him, and his, his brothers don't like that. Um, huh. And uh, I mean, the, te- <laughs> the, text isn't, the text isn't like even close to silent on it. It's just something like they hated him so much that they couldn't speak peacefully with him. Then he tells them the dream. They hated him even more. Uh-huh. And then later yeah. on, it's like they hated him even more. So there's jealousy. No, there's not. There's levels to his hate. <laughs> and so uh, that uh, that all kind of sets up the final scene. And what I said, what I said there though, is that God is working in that in His divine providence to set up what's going to happen next. So I, I don't think it's an accident. I think God reveals Himself in dreams at times, and that He was setting the whole scene up uh, for it to head the way it headed as horrible as it was. Um, and then he gets sent to Shechem. His dad wants him to check on his brothers who are shepherding the flocks out there. Uh, probably because they just had a pretty bad experience in Shechem where the brothers had murdered the whole city. And so maybe Jacob was worried that they wouldn't be very well received <laughs> in that particular place, which makes sense. Joseph goes, can't find him. They see him coming from a long way away because of his fancy coat that marks his blessing and they're uh, being despised by their father, basically. And they make plans to kill him. Um, Reuben steps in for some reason. I think it's a little ray of redemption in the story and, and wants to spare his life. 
Judah then steps in when Reuben is gone and says, hey, what if we make a buck off this thing and then we don't have to cover up all the evidence, which is super ironic because Daniel's going to preach here next week on Judah and Tamar, which is a turning point, I think, in Judah's life. And later, Jumo actually, Judo actually sell himself into slavery for his brother rather than sell his brother into slavery. It's this cool redemption mm-hmm. reversal story. And then Jesus um, is the line of Judah. Yep, who, who sells himself yes. for sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, though, like there's all the, and, and you talked about it, there's all these references to Jesus. You know, uh, Joseph comes to his own and his own do not receive him. You know, he's sold yep. for silver pieces, just like Jesus right. is sold. He's. Mm-hmm going to be he's going to be sold into Egypt to escape death and then he's going to come back and save his people out of Egypt um and spare their life so there's all these there's all these themes that as you're reading you're supposed to see because the bible's one story we already talked about that yep mm-hmm. and so the so it basically ends with um them selling him um and him getting taken to Egypt and he's in Potiphar's house and the brothers go back and lie to their dad about what happened and their dad mourns and is beside himself and it just ends ends with him kind of waiting yep. hanging out um, sold into slavery with Potiphar that's the yeah story Stacy did anything stick out to you or do you have any reflections on the sermon yeah well I think the ending of just how you decided to end it and not wrap it up in a tidy with a tidy bow or something like, oh, this is, you know, we know what's going to happen because we know the end of the story for Joseph and um, the verse like God meant it for good, they meant it for evil. Um, and that's true. But in this particular story, it, it is kind of left, well, there he goes in this bad place. Right. And it's, um, I thought it was appropriate to just end in a season of waiting and focusing on waiting because that's, that's where, where we, we are. We live life. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, in between two comings of Jesus. So I thought that was fitting. And I think, um, you know, all of us and, you know, people I care about and, you know, in hard situations often are waiting for the Lord to do things or, you know, for him to make everything right again. And right. it's good to kind of just wait on him mm-hmm. in hope. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> Did you uh, plan to end the sermon that way? <laughs> That's funny. Um, no, you know I didn't. Uh, so I know, I'm baiting you. <laughs> it's a bait and switch. I mean, one of the, one of the. I think I was actually. Kel and I were on a walk last night, just kind of reflecting on how that happened, and uh, I just said to her, one of the cool things about when you study something really hard is that you have more freedom to. And sometimes in the moment as the Lord leads, just kind of speak from the heart or read where the situation is at. And so I had a whole nother uh, application written um, that I think was fine. It would have been true and faithful. But it was just as I was praying that morning and then as there was a song we sang, I can't remember exactly what line caught me. Um, then Bill uh, was praying. And in all of that, and then as I was working through the sermon, I just had the sense that Kind of exactly what Stacy said. Just and sometimes we just have to wait, and we just have to kind of bring our waiting to the Lord. So as, as we're moving towards communion, where we bring things to Him, it just seemed helpful to kind of rather than try to tie it up and provide resolution for people in a the way I chose to just kind of leave leave it with wherever they're at and they're waiting, and let them kind of choose how to resolve that with the Lord 
at the table yeah. at communion. So, yeah, so it's just a sweet. I've had a, a ton of people say how much they appreciated that, and so just thankful to Jesus for leading me <laughs> while I'm up there and trusting that he's working. So, yeah, yeah. it's great. That's awesome. Well, anything else you want to add or Stacey, any final thoughts? I don't think so. All right. Thanks for preaching, man. It was great. Yeah.